well. Friends, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Almighty God, you lead us in light and you comfort us with strength and you surround us with your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of our heart and send a word. Your people, listen. Amen. Do you ever get uh, good and lost? Like really lost? It used to happen a lot more um, than it does. People don't really get lost anymore. They can't. I mean, you get lost spiritually, but I'm talking physically here. The whole physically lost thing is a bit more of a visceral experience, uh, I think. Now, we probably all remember getting separated from our grown-ups when we were little kids at the grocery store or whatever. I got lost to Stecades once when I was a kid. I think maybe they're trying to lose me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But getting physically lost as an adult is a whole different bag of potatoes. It, like I said, it's hard to get. We've, got, we've all got these things in our pockets now these days. So the, the computers have kind of done us out of getting lost. Uh, you kind of have to, if you get lost driving around these days, you kind of have to try to get lost. I had just moved into a parsonage house in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. It was on a little street, little town. I had this lovely little backyard, a uh, little ranch house. It backed up to some heavy, tall conifers. And so on, after a few days, I decided to go for a hike. The house was set at the very end of this lovely cul-de-sac type neighborhood. And I figured that the forest I saw was a couple of undeveloped acres. Maybe I'd spot an owl or a little bobcat or some, some kind of Tennessee wildlife out there. The house I was staying in, it was the last house at the end of the lane. So I wanted to see the forest and so I laced up my boots and I walked into the trees. And I walked the length of this small creek that ran behind the house. I followed it until it split and then I climbed over this berm and I thought to myself, these here woods are a lot bigger than I anticipated. I figured I'd climb up the next hill and see a farm, but there were no farms. Um, it, it was a pretty flat part of the state that I was in during Tennessee. I figured they'd typically run the roads around the hills. Um, so I'll climb down the hill, there'll be a road. But there wasn't a road, it was just a, a creek. And so I thought to myself, well, that's probably, this, probably the same creek that I started out following. So I, I went in what felt like the general direction of the house up along the creek. And then, nope, that was a different creek. <laughs> well, I thought, I'm lost. Well, that's such a novel experience. I laughed at myself. Good thing I got my cell phone. I thought, I pulled it out, and I had no service. Zero bars. And so I sat down right there by that creek. The thing about being lost in the woods is that it, at first it causes your head to spin. When you first realize that you've lost your bearings, your brain does this kind of panicky thing and your mental compass goes in every direction. And this is, I think, when most folks really get themselves messed up because they panic. Um, I have a few more resources up in my noodle uh, than a lot of people. I was a Boy Scout, I was a wilderness medic, a hunter, all that. I grew up in the woods, not frightened by the woods. Um, but all that and a dollar, uh, when you're lost, you're just as lost as anyone else. So I sat down and I made my list. The first thought I had was a mental tool that my father gave me as a boy. He taught me, now I grew up near here, uh, but 
off in the woods, off between Alto and Lowell in that sort of uh, heavily forested part of Kent County. But he said that as long as you are in the, uh, as long as you're in the lower peninsula of Michigan and you can walk in a straight line for one hour at a walking pace, um, you're going to hit a road, okay? Now, it might be a logging road or a DNR access road or something, but all roads lead to other roads. But you've got to be able to walk a straight line for an hour. And walking a straight line in heavily forested woods is just very challenging. It's a skill that you learn as a Boy Scout. But as he said, you know, you'll find a road, all those roads lead to other roads. Eventually, all roads lead to a mailbox. And if you just sit down and wrap your arms around that mailbox like you're a parcel package, eventually someone's going to show up and pick you up and send you home. Now, this is comforting information to have if you're a boy outbound into the wilderness of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Don't try this in the UP. You will die. <laughs> but if you're in the lower peninsula, that's fine. But the thing of it was, of course, I wasn't in the lower peninsula of Michigan. I was in a totally different state, an entirely different region of the country, and I didn't really know the first thing about the sort of forest that I got myself lost in. What, what did I have? What did I have? I had a wallet. I had my cell phone. And I had about four hours of daylight by my best reckoning. And I was in pretty good physical shape. And I could remember some of the beautiful things I'd stopped to observe along that creek, along that hillside, but there was just no way I could wind the tape back far enough in my mind to get myself home. But if I could just catch a cell signal, and I could put in my home address for that little parsonage, I would have a compass point to follow. And so I turned off my cell phone to save batteries. I stood up. Standing up, I stood up, I stretched my legs, and I began to follow upstream, find that pile of rocks, the gully I'd crossed, the hillside. I climbed the hill, and I turned on my phone. No signal. <laughs> no signal. So then I began to think about sleeping outside. <laughs> then I had an idea. I took a pretty serious risk. This isn't something I would advocate for everybody, but I grabbed a hold of the sticky branches and the tallest eastern white pine I could find, and I started to climb that sucker. Uh, I climbed, and I... I laughed as I was climbing. I felt like a kid again. I hadn't climbed a big old pine tree since I was about 12. Um, and then I thought, well, if I fall out of this here pine tree, it'll at least make for an interesting story in the local paper. Um, so higher and higher I climbed until finally I could see out over that hill that I was on. And what I saw just about stole my breath away. Because way off in the distance on the horizon, I could see a little teeny tiny white water tower emblazoned with the name of this town that I'd moved to. And spreading off in every other direction was endless forest to the horizon. Up at the top of that pine tree, I turned on my cell phone. And I had one bar of service. One little bit. It was enough to punch in the address of that little parsonage house. And in a moment of glorious revelation, a little black arrow appeared on the Google map. And the map spun a bit and it pointed directly toward the house. And I fixed that direction with my eyes and my mind. And I picked out the next tree to go to, because that's how you walk a straight line in the woods. You go from tree to tree to tree in a straight line. The next hilltop, and I climbed down, and I walked that straight line through the forest for about an hour, and I popped out of the woods right behind my neighbor's garden shed. Now that night, I pulled out a map of the town, a real map, a paper map of the town. And it turns out that my house was not only the last house on the street, but my street was the last street in the town and my little town was the last town that backed up to one of the largest stretches of government land in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> 170,000 acres. 
The funny thing about that was that even when I knew I was lost, I still had absolutely no idea how lost I really was. That information, though, had I had it, would have done me absolutely no good whatsoever. Might have kept me out of the woods in the first place, but it would have done me no good had I sat down and taken stock of my condition and come up with a plan and then did the hard but good thing first, which is simply to stand up. Being lost spiritually can be a, a pretty similar experience. And likewise, when we're spiritually adrift, we often don't know how lost we really are. There are countless gods in this world that can call us away from the worship of Jehovah, from the worship of God. There are endless little gods that entice us off the path of righteousness, along one more creek and up one more hillside. And in our despairing, as we find that these gods are either illusory or pointless or unfulfilling, or as often the case actually harmful to us, we sit down there by the creek in our ashes and we weep. I think that some of us, if you're anything like me, you might feel a little bit lost right now spiritually as Americans. Americans, we feel a little bit like lost people. I mean, we're, every day we open the news and we see plans for everything from contesting elections to coups, right-wing terrorism, the news and on our streets, all the way up to and including the prospect of civil war. I use that term, I am being as serious as a heart attack. Today we see traditions that have lasted generations, have been overturned with the stroke of a pen. We despair the violence and hatred. It seems omnidirectional. We find it in ourselves and it makes us sick and nauseous to feel this way about other Americans. We have this idea of America, and we know that it's always been an idea, an aspiration, an experiment. Never some kind of perfect fixed monument, but rather a destination. And our idea of the location of that destination called America is challenged. We can't seem to find that point on the horizon that we were promised would be there. We want to have a plan, but all the plans in the world seem paper thin. Can't vote harder. <laughs> Many Americans can no longer vote. It's so tempting to sit beside the river and just down, fully aware that we're lost. Some of us do a little bit better in these situations than others. Lost is lost. And when we awaken to being spiritually lost, it's the easiest thing in the world to become paralyzed. God knows this. Jesus Christ knows this. Jesus knew this when he was speaking to these Pharisees and to this lawyer, to the others, these people living under an unimaginably brutal Roman military occupation with hope in very short supply. These people are surrounded by pain and suffering, alienation and despair. They're looking for a compass point. What is the greatest commandment, they ask him. In these words, I hear the voice of the lost American sitting beside the meandering creek asking, what on earth do I have to do to stand up and know which way to walk? And he gives them something very beautiful, very personal, very personal. We call it the greatest commandment. In Hebrew, it's known as the Shema Yisrael. He quotes to them from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, words that they, all of those people listening to him, would have known from childhood. From childhood. Words that would have been among the first words that these people ever learned to speak. 
and words that today many faithful Jewish people still speak as they lay upon their deathbed. To remind themselves of the cardinal direction of their faith. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? Jesus answers, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Behavata et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol Levavcha, Ubechol Nafshecha, Ubechol Meorecha. Hear, O Israel, God is one, and you shall love God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. Hear, O Israel. And do you know that that includes you and me? That includes us today, disciples of Jesus Christ. Israel. Israel. Hear, O Israel. What is Israel? A name that conjures up so many things. A person, a place, a people. But what does the word mean? Israel. El from Elohim. God. Israel. To struggle with. To wrestle with. Israel is just one who wrestles with God. Hear, you people who wrestle with God. God is one. You are to love God with what? Everything you have. Your mind, your strength, your soul, your heart. Love, love, love God. That, I think, is what is meant to help us stand up. Love. And then he gives us the following, the second half of the greatest commandment, or as believe, simply another way of stating the Shema, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he doesn't say, you shall love your neighbor as though they were yourself. He does not say, you shall love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It is more than that. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what here the compass stops spinning and it fixes the direction that we must go. Our job is to love our neighbor as ourself. That's a straight line out of that forest of despair. I'm sad today to see so many people of faith looking to Washington, D.C. for some cardinal direction out of this mess, or to commentators and celebrities, or to popular politicians as their heads spin, they sit beside the river, bemoaning just how damned lost we feel in this day of distress. But for the faithful, there is a direction. Stand up. This is to love God first and walk a straight line, loving our neighbor as ourself. That's it. That's the next direction. That's where we go. We go to our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Simply put, the first person that we happen to meet who is in need of love. It's as easy as that. Now, unfortunately, Jesus never tells us whether that person is going to be a Democrat or a Republican. He says it could be anyone. And we ourselves could be the Samaritan, the outsider than loving this neighbor in need. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. God has given us these things to remind us that we're never truly lost. In Judaism, it is the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord God is one to love with heart and soul and mind. And in Christianity, it is likewise, but to put another way to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Islam, it is the same, the Shahada. Ashhadu Allah, ilaha il Allah. I bear witness that there is no God but God. Things may go one way or another. Jesus teaches us not to worry, that each day brings worries of its own. We can't add to our days by worrying to trust God. But like a laser focus, 
like a shining light in the dark. And remember, the light of a candle, a single candle can be seen at a distance of 10 miles in the dark of night. We know which way to go. And I say it is this, love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It's two ways of saying the same thing. Regardless of the depth of the forest or the darkness that surrounds us, we can stand up and love God and love our neighbor as ourself. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And upon this rests everything else. Everything. Amen.